Enterprise Digital Podcast with Ian Aitchison and Barclay Ray, navigating the ever-expanding service management maze. Hello, it's another episode of the Enterprise Digital Podcast. We're back. We've had a little bit of a summer recess. That's the right word. I don't know, but I'm still... Barclay Ray, and I'm once again joined by the intrepid Ian Aitchison. Ian, how are you doing? Um, I'm good, thank you. Now it's cooled down a little bit. It was really hot recently, wasn't it? But it's much better now. Yeah, I pretty much melted a couple of weeks ago. I had to be taken home in a in a skip, basically, because it was so hot. Normally, you come up with, um, we start off this session with a little bit of trivia. And if anybody is good at collecting trivia, Ian, you are that person. What have you got for us today? It's an important hobby of mine. Well, uh, this week on the podcast, I bring news of spiders. Reading recently some news that came out about how scientists at at Rice University in Texas, here we are, Rice University in Texas, have successfully reanimated dead spiders to serve as mechanical grippers. And there's a fantastic little video that I've been watching of a dead spider being lowered on a string. And it then closes its open legs and picks up another spider and lifts it away. So repurposing dead spiders into un- undead zombie robots. What a wonderful world we live in, Barclay. What a wonderful world. I'm not sure on that account that we do. I'm actually convinced that maybe it's quite a terrible world if that's what we've come to. And certainly in terms of the human race, what are we doing re- refashioning? I mean, I'm all for refashioning old bits of equipment, you know, and and... and rebuilding PCs and all sorts of stuff. But uh, spiders didn't really come into my, my thinking there. I think we'll move on. You mentioned universities, which is a key, which is a key link to uh, today's guest. I'm delighted to welcome uh, Sandra Whittleston. Sandra, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Nice to see you all again. Great to see you down at the Service Desk Show in y- May. It was yes, a fantastic we- event, wasn't it? I mentioned universities because, Sandra, you're, you're particularly associated with education on a number of different levels because I know you've worked at universities and you've taught service management and you've done all sorts of things. So particular focus of our discussion today. But it would be great just for those that might not know you, if, if you just give us a quick overview of you know what's, what you do and what you have been doing uh, in the past. Well known in the UK, um, but we we have we have another listener outside of the UK. So yeah, well, thank you for inviting me. Um, it's a great pleasure to be here. I've worked in higher education, what seems to be most of my work in life, um, and during that time, I've been very fortunate actually because I've had a number of jobs within that: managing budgets, managing staff, managing you know a whole range acad- academic services, that kind of thing. Prior to that, I've, I worked at local authorities, I was in a building society, even worked for a newspaper. So I've, I feel my kind of eclectic career has helped me a lot along the way. And uh, latterly now, I saw the light when I worked in IG services in my university that we really need to teach students this stuff, you know. And I was quite ferocious in my <laughs> pursuing the dean of study at my university to, to get the, the course off the ground. It took a lot 
of effort and a lot of persuasion to to do that. And after that, I moved on to another university, uh, which was Northampton. And then latterly now, I'm currently partly retired working at the Open University. So I'm probably one of the the only academics in IT service management that has worked in three. I don't know. I'd I'd challenge anybody out there to beat that, but (laughs) that's who I am. We've had a lot of conversations over the over the years, uh, to be honest, particularly you know through ITSMF and so on, but around about the need for education in service management, and that, by that we don't just mean ITIL training or whatever. It's it's actually teaching younger people what service management is, and people doing um, computers science degrees and so on that they should know what it is. So that's a very rich vein, I think, in terms of our discussion and and how that may develop in future. And a really interest. I, th- I think it's a really interesting topic because you know, by the time you get somebody at the age of twenty-three, and they probably aren't going to be as easy to, to mould into being, you know, customer-friendly as they would be if you get them at seventeen or eighteen. But let's leave that for the conversation. Welcome to the podcast, and uh, great to see you here. Thank you. I'm going to start off straight into the deep end and say, why would it be important, do you think, regardless of how this goes in future, but, you know, the premise being we should teach more about service management. I actually remember a few years ago at ITSMF doing some work on, uh, if you like, uh, I think it was maybe like six year or, you know, certainly 17 and 18 year old courses based around ITIL and so on. But, you know, i didn't know, really know where that would go, who would get it. But it did occur to me that actually, if you've got people who are going to be working in IT, then they should know what service management is, not when they come out in a job. But from your perspective, what, what do you think the value would be of improving and developing education in a more accessible and, and wider sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I can talk um, in a way about some of the positive aspects that I've discovered over the years. One thing, if you, if you think about this, Sandra has stood there in front of a, a classroom of second year undergraduates and starts talking about IT service management to computer uh, students. It's a bit of a shock for them and, and for me, you know, to, to stand there. And, the, and their concept of, of service management is, is probably zero if they haven't worked or been involved in any way, shape or form in the work that they're doing, even though they've got a job. So it's been a bit, it's a bit worrying <laughs> to think about that. And I've, I've learned over the years that it's been a huge benefit for them. You know, and the more I teach it, the more evidence you get. You know, I'm still in contact with a lot of my students. Some of them have said to me that they've got a job specifically because they were taught service management. So I think that key element there is very important, Barclay. You know, it, it's not about just, just giving this stuff to, to students. It's about the actual value that they gain. And they don't necessarily understand that value when they start off because if they've never seen it, how could they possibly <laughs> know what it is? And I do now believe that after those small experiences that we need to be more purposeful about what we teach and how we teach it. That's interesting. At the beginning of that description there, you said you're teaching it to, or or led to teaching it to computing students. Is there ever a path for a non-computing student to move into IT service management? Because uh, it's funny, you might say 
you don't need to be a computing person to be good at ITSM. You might need to be good at negotiation, communication, empathy. You might need oh, to be it's, it's, more yeah. empathy. <laughs> you don't necessarily get from a computing degree. What's yeah. your thought? starting point it's fantastic you say that Ian because I have worked in uh, teaching in a computing department and academia but also in a business school uh-huh. so I've seen it from both ends um, at my first university it was in computing my second university at Northampton it was the um, business school and now at the Open University those two distinct disciplines have their way of doing things as you, as you can imagine and if you look online at any course that's offered in the UK that there are these two distinct elements and one of the things that one another anecdote that I would say is that uh, when you're talking to people uh, your fellow academics sometimes in the computing department they will say oh that's that's soft skills you know you, you get on with it you know <laughs> it's, it's not the real hard techie stuff uh, and all of that and conversely in business school they might say oh it's IT oh yeah you know you just get on with it and it's, it's quite humorous in a way but worrying in another way because I strongly believe uh, many, I think Barbara will know this from from working with me over the years I firmly believe that there is a middle way and we talked endlessly about the third way with those subject descriptors descriptors that each department has that drives what those courses do there's not a lot of of headroom to make any changes you know the curriculum is chock full of existing material and when you start to put something in it it actually disturbs that balance Uh, and often you know it it, is well did you put it in as an extra module or where exactly does it fit in and I think there's opportunity to nudge, uh, you know, universities into doing different things by uh, developing uh, pathways within what they originally do now that would include IT service management. And I'd just like to give you an example of that. Say, for example, in, in a business school, they, they might study um, you know, the basics of computing or digital organisations or even project management. You know, you could actually tweak those to put some some elements of service management in there. A similar thing in computing. You know, they, they learn about management information systems, about, um, you know, again, project management. You, you can actually push it in. And I've done that where I've taught on a module that doesn't specifically have service management in it. I've actually pushed it in because I think it's required and there is sort of leeway to do that as long as it fits in with what that module is is designed to do but i do think if we're going to be firm about this and really consistent about it in that we really do have to get back to the drawing board mm-hmm. we have to find a way to push this forward and I, and over the years i have worked on on different plans about that one of the um my latest plan uh, is to uh, think about how um, you would teach people in the nursing professional or, or law where you build in professionalism from the beginning. So right from the start of their degree program, for example, you, you, you would connect students with you know, external networks. You would build in um, elements within there where they go out and pursue information relevant for, for our discipline. And also, I act as mentors and advisors, and once they've they've completed their degree, they're actually part of a system that then takes their hand really and sort of helps them along their way along the way in their career path. And they they might attend CPD courses or events, and they would then develop their own learning journey. And I think it would open up 
the market space, not just for business students and computing students, but also for the service management industry as well, because they would then naturally become more engaged with the uh, the community. It's an interesting area. I mean, particularly when, you know, I mean, Ian's question about, you know, are we just talking about IT or are we talking about business people as well? Can we just take it back to IT for a second? Because the, the, the whole nature, I think the whole tenor of, of what people do in terms of computing degrees, I, th- I think has been probably been limited for some time. I mean, it, it's not just about service management that they don't really learn. They don't really learn about much about operations. I'm not sure they really learn much about real projects. You know, it, 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 it's sort of structured approach to uh, programming and, and models and to, in a very kind of, in a very academic way, where actually what we are talking about is people working and doing, and doing a job. And and that's where I mean that there is a real growth now in the certainly a lot of the organisations I go into where the, the whole idea of apprenticeships has has become much more prevalent, and you do get service management apprenticeships and various other sorts. But I mean, the example of I mean, I used to get students years ago, you know, and they were they'd done a full degree, they'd done four years of some sort of computing, and I'm not I'm certainly not in any way anti-education, but I really don't know what they did. You know, because it wasn't actually about anything to do with the the job that they were doing, and you were basically you might as well have got them at eighteen and said, "This is how it works, and this is what we do," rather than at twenty two when they think they know something and actually they don't really know anything. So, I mean, I, I, are we really talking about potentially in, in IT? Should we have a broader definition of what people go to university for if they're going to learn about technology? Yeah, absolutely, and a lot of this, Barclay depends upon it's not just the 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 actual subjects that they teach it's a whole range of activities you know what we have in in higher education we have a huge arsenal of techniques that we can deploy what you do is you you have a look at the the subject descriptors and you say okay well if we're offering a degree here this this is what it will consist of and these are the topics but you also have this idea of what those learning outcomes are and within that, there's different branches. There's what we call the kind of knowledge and understanding of the topic, which probably is what you're talking about. They've come out with some understanding of the technical side of things. There's also the kind of uh, cognitive skills that they would learn, learning how to understand and evaluate challenges, for example. The practical skills that go along with that, you know, about commercial issues, for example, you know, trade-offs and, and evaluating real-life scenarios. There's also these <laughs> this idea of the professional skills, you know, all of the legal, ethical, moral and, and policy setting, the governance aspects um, of working in a digital organisation. And underneath all that, you're developing the individual, you're giving them what we call the key skills of learning because they would then learn how to work with others in a team properly um, and understand importantly, which is, is I think is absolutely crucial, uh, is understanding themselves, you know, who they are, how they can then take their career forward. So you balance all that against that and that's written into the programme. It's written into the assignments and the examinations I think one of the challenges I think we have uh, with all of the education system is very much driven by assessment. 
And, you know, there's been attempts over the years to kind of tone down this this over-reliance on end-of-year assessments and things like that so that you're allowing the person to grow and develop. And it's not driven by this acquisition of something that they can tick mm. a box. It's important to them because they're paying money for it now. But it is important to develop these other skills along the way. And I think that's why that kind of thing has to be built in purposefully into whatever program you develop. And that I'd service talk- management would be in the middle. It would be right there in the middle of what, what they're learning. Does that mean we should have a more general definition then of what a computing or technology degree involves? Maybe with some other areas that are more specific. So there is maybe a you know programming module and there's you know platform module and service management module. I'm just thinking because I mean there's a lot of discussion. In fact, today I was reading about particularly with the current nature of funding and so on in the in the UK. But the, the, one of the newspapers had published a list of the least useful degrees in terms of the lowest salaries that you get. I was uh, delighted to see that mine was on there. <laughs> you know, I had I had an arts degree. And, and you know, the, there is that site that there's two ways of looking at that kind of education. One is to say you go in and you learn a very specific job, like you learn how to be a doctor or a dentist or whatever, or you go and you learn how to learn and you, and you broaden your mind and all that sort of thing, which is probably what I did in the bar, sorry, in the library at university. But actually, we shouldn't be playing down the fact that some courses are not completely vocational. They are about learning and, and developing skills. Yeah, it's about building knowledge, isn't it? It's like if you study a science, then you're learning all about that science. You're learning all of the, the laws and the algorithms and the formulas and the facts and the knowledge. And, and like if you learn history, it's the same thing. You're learning things. If you do a history degree, you're not going to get a job working for history company. Yeah. You're not going to get a job as a historian, probably. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. IT service management, you're, you're, it's a vocational is it not? It's vocational. You're going to come out like a nurse, as you said, the example of the nurse. I really, that didn't click at first. Now I really get it. You're trained in medicine. You come out as a nurse, you go straight into a hospital and you have all the skills you need to land on day one and start being a nurse. Now, when you do a computer science degree, which many, many years ago I did, terrible result. But when you do that, you don't land on day one in a company and start doing that job. You absolutely don't, because what you've learned is, you know, Pascal programming and COBOL programming and the principles of architecture. And none of that's relevant to coming into a company and starting on day one. That's the vocational difference, isn't it? And isn't ITSM really vocational? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it lends itself to being part of that category of topics, doesn't it, of subjects. And it's it's what what we're seeing with kind of the business schools, uh, Ian. You know, the, those those subject descriptions they're moving towards the digital business. You know, there's a lot of descriptors in there now. Computing has more or less stayed the same over the years with just bits of appendices that hint at other subjects that the person might want to study. Um, computing so in it, education, it, it, you mean? Computing <laughs> in how it's taught, you mean? Yeah. Computing itself uh, well, has changed. Computing, well, yeah, the core, the core topics that you would study are on a, you know, the programming, the networks, yeah. that, you know, the enterprise stuff, but also 
um, they would then say, oh, but there are other techniques that you may not want to look at, which are other topics, basically. One of them, I know, is service management, because that's linked in through the, <laughs> through, through the link in, in, in the appendices. But it doesn't necessarily describe that. It doesn't put it in there. So it doesn't guide those people designing those courses in that way. So that's why people like me have had to sort of push it in, <laughs> in a way, you know, and we've been very fortunate that we've been able to do that. And I think going back to what you were saying about essential uh, qualifications, I mean, th- this has been debunked over time uh, in many circumstances. You know, there's this academic research on education that says it's not true. Every every course of study should be valuable to that individual because it's all those things I was talking about earlier that are built into the learning outcomes that uh, that develop that individual so they are then able to study on something else or, or develop into another area that is complementary or even diverse from what they've studied. You know, once you become a researcher, I always say to my students, once you become a researcher, you never look back because you don't stop investigating you know, it's quite a, uh, an addictive subject, an addict, addictive topic to do. Once you start digging into things, you know, I've had students on the master's programmes, for example, who they want to do a research project with their dissertation on, say, the service desk or uh, service transition, something like that, just, just to give some examples. So you send them off the way and, and they go and research and they come back and say, there's not a lot of research on this from a service management perspective. You know, there's lots of papers, there's lots of commentary from people. But if you're doing research where you're really digging in to the basics of things, you know, which is what they really need to do. They need to get to the core of something and start unraveling it. And that's part of the challenge. You know, some of these longstanding disciplines like business and computing have got these sort of uh, pedigrees of research in their own way, but we haven't in service management. So that's why it's a little bit more difficult. But in my view, I think it's it's a fantastic area because it's a greenfield site. It really is. You know, we, we are developing material all, all, all the way through. Can, can we then sort of move on now to the, the way that we have... You know, in in our service management industry, we we have you know all these training courses and programs and mm-hmm. companies doing that and so on. I mean, to what extent do you think that that form of w- what is definitely much more vocational training or or more subject matter training? Do you think it's appropriate that 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 is all done on that kind of you know once you're in the job? you have to go and do some ad- additional training level or, or or really should it be something that's baked into people earlier on? And we don't need to go into the ins and outs of how the industry works at the moment because that, that that's kind of in flux anyway. But just as a general point, do you think that the subject matter in service management would be better taught to 18-year-olds than, you know, anybody from the age of well, 18 on, but, you know, very often people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, it's all new to them. It's like, oh, I'd never thought about this before. Yeah, I, I think it's a really, really good point, that uh, Barclay. Um, I do believe there are elements of what we, what is, is traditionally taught through training um, is taught to university students. Definitely. And with the model of professionalisation, where where we are covering the basics, if you will, on project management, service management, you know, a whole range of topics from business and, um, and from computing, we can then see a shift 
we will then nudge it forward so that what we're currently doing now in the training community would naturally develop on from that. It would naturally take its own course insofar as it would be seen as CPD in a different light. Uh, it would open up, in my view, I could see it opening up into new arenas. So, for example, you, they may want to concentrate on more leadership and management side, which is covered, for example, in, in the ISO material. But, it, it you know, it's it's actually moving it into a different arena than it currently is so that mm-hmm. you've got that perspective of the industry then able to respond to what the learning of the of the student has done uh, at that on their university degree so i think it would naturally evolve like that I, d- I don't see a contest between the two i think the two would mutually support each other and i think it's um i think we're ready for it personally i think that the industry should be ready for that can i ask you about um entry into industry once you've once you've had a, a an it service management higher education um, experience let's say traditionally people come into their first jobs in it quite often into the service desk because it's a slightly lower technical skill entry level and quite often the people you see coming into the service desk that's not their career that's their entry in because they really want to be developers and they really want to be hackers and they want to do security testing and they want to get at the back end and do complicated technical things do you find that those people that are being being taught around ITSM at a higher education level even bypass the service desk completely? And do they go into a IT service management role, IT service discipline that isn't working in the front line of the service desk as their first starting point? Does it bypass that for them? Um, not necessarily. I think with all of these things, I think any discipline would be the same. And I think if you have some prior experience, whatever that is, mm. you know, you have to remember in universities, we teach all ages, you know, it's not just about young people. Um, so if you study service management, even at undergraduate level or postgraduate level, you would slot in to your next phase of your development. If mm. you are brand new, if you are someone straight from school, you would naturally have to fit in to what that organization or business requires. And if they don't see your skill sets as being able to move beyond the traditional service desk yeah. at that time, they won't do it, will they? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. If, if that person um, show, develop a CV and, and demonstrate to that organisation that they have other skills. This is why I, be- I believe in education, because you, you also take other things people have learned, even in part-time jobs. You know, if, if someone was young and they, 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 some people are working from the age of 16, aren't they? Um, and many students now have to work to complement their studies. They're not just traditionally at university and they don't do anything else. So there's a whole range of learners now that they can map into, you know, some form or shape that definitely suits them and that organisation. So it's not hard and fast. I, I mean, one of the things, that, the reason I asked the previous question was sort of trying to get towards a lot of the stuff that we've created and that goes into the, if you like, postgraduate training portfolio that we've got with ITIL and all these uh, these things. To me, a lot of the stuff that's in there should actually is or should be common sense that people have learned earlier, you know, and actually we spend a lot of time going over really quite basic stuff. You know, a lot of the professional skills that you mentioned, certainly, but that may come from different sources. But even just, you know, how to how to write properly, how to present information, how to produce analysis, all that kind of stuff. 
I do wonder sometimes about, you know, where people, what is the best place to, you know, and for me, the, the back to the point about the generic non-vocational courses is you do learn to learn. You do, you learn how to present information. You know, I've got to write a dissertation about something that's of no interest to anybody ever and it's not going to make me any money. But I've learned how to do that. You know, I've learned how to capture the information, capture my thinking, put it into a format, present it. And that. so there's that kind of stuff that we don't seem to be getting coming through as, as much as I would like to see. I mean, is that fair or...? or... It's, well, it's difficult to say. I mean, you're at the sharp end of what you see from an industry point of view. Uh, we do our best in education to ensure that students are taught key skills like writing and presenting. Mm. And certainly when you're in a classroom-based situation, you, you would get students to present as part of their uh, assessments, you know, which is quite scary for them but at least they're trying it with you uh, as a tutor, you know. So there's all kinds of techniques, you know, you can do posters, you can, you know, I, I believe we should try to bring out the creative side of people um, uh, throughout the learning. And of course, the longer you have people with you, the more opportunity you've got to do that. You can have various ways of assessment. You could even have, if you had a professional um, degree, like I was talking about earlier, you could get industry people in and where the, the students would have to write to those people with a plan, with a business plan. So they'd have to up the game. You know, people have to up the game in the circumstances. And the more you can give them the opportunity to do that in a okay. safe environment, I think the better that is. So you're right. I think there's a lot we can improve upon. Um, but I think, you know, it's it's not as easy as we might hope, really. I, I have one sort of question, just sort of rounding off this this discussion, which is, Hopefully, we'll get some kind of controversial, um, or 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 particularly with your op open university hat on. If you're not in the UK, the open university has always been a virtual university. If you like, it was it was quite um, forward thinking when it was created in the late sixties. But what what do you think is the best for? Do you think people can still learn as well in a virtual environment as they as they would in a classroom environment? You know, in terms of particularly you're talking about being creative and engaging with people and all that kind of stuff. Well, it, it's it's what it is, isn't it? I think I'm not saying it suits everybody. That is for sure. You know, if um, I've had the privilege of doing both, I've been in taught situation, but also um, virtual. And a lot of people, as I said before, are learning as they work and they want the study to fit in with them. And it is very popular to do online learning. And I think the pandemic has changed a lot of perspectives on that. You know, I, I think an ideal model would be, um, if I were designing something, it, it would be to have a, a series of upfront learning, what they call a flipped classroom, where you give people learning material and then you come and discuss it or you do some practical element with that. So it does depend upon the learner actually doing the upfront work. That's, that's for sure. But you, you're kind of put in a practical element for them that they have got to take there. you're not just standing there and feeding out information you're giving them the opportunity to, to research themselves and then talk about something thrash something out present something maybe you know it, there's, there's lots of opportunities with that model uh, but also going out and talking to industry people you know that that would be my ideal way of learning but you know, universities are set up like they are, um, and the Open University where I work is is um, is set up as a you know a, a virtual, so that suits some people, uh, and um, it's very popular. 
It's very successful, the Open University. I was part mm. of running for many, 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 many years. And there's, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people with outstanding degrees that come from studying in their own time, in their spare time, early mornings, late nights in the Open University. Well, they do. They have to be self-disciplined because, yeah. you know, they have to take charge. The materials they are allowed to take charge. And I have to say, they are a great place to work. It, it is, um, I sing their praises. They do look after you. And I, I uh, yeah, look after the students and they look after the staff as well. That's my, my perspective. And they're very creative as well, you know. So they do try different methods and... And they're not afraid to to do that. But other universities do as well. You know, they 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 will I think again post pandemic, you know, there's a lot of shifting going on in terms of what how we will teach in the future. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you're right, there does need to be a coming together situation where people can communicate face to face with other people um, or even virtually uh, like like we are you know but virtual face to face so to speak okay i think that might be a good place just to round off i mean i i i think the area of education and and i know that for example the you know people like axelos and people cert and so on have have been trying for a number of years to find a way in or or a way of working together more with the uh, academic community and, and it hasn't really happened yet. I mean, what would you say finally would be the the thing that would be needed to bring those things together? This is really controversial. I think we should put key people in, in a room, lock the room until we get until we get an agreement and uh, uh, and really take, we, you know, we, we all know, that uh, education knows it has to deliver what industry wants. This industry wants certain people to come out with qualifications that that, that are, are fit and proper so whatever it takes really you know I, I i never give up as you know barclay i, ne- I never <laughs> i will not stop on my quest to uh, to do whatever i can and i think we've got to do something whatever that is there has got to be some movement but if you if you were saying right now to people sir who are looking for you know they're out there asking the industry at the moment what what should we do? What would you say to them? I would try to explain to them what I've said here on the podcast, you know, that we are, the time has come when we have to mutually work together for our for our mutual benefits. We have to work together for our mutual benefit in order to improve what they can do and also what education can do as well. I and others like me have proved it can be done. So it's not impossible you know, I, I came from a, a, a lower tier university and did it with, with you know, almost a one man and his dog kind of situation. So, but I have huge help from the service management community, I have to say. It, it's been a joy to work with, with many of you over the years. So I think, you know, the, the, the will is there. We, we can put this together. You know, we've all got to have an open mind, I think, about what we can do and be honest. All right. Well, hopefully that will be listened to by somebody in the... Uh, in the mechanism somewhere. Okay, great stuff. Thank you, Sandra. Okay, so we've talked around the where the industry can go or is going or needs to go with education. I think there's lots to uh, to ponder on there and. I, for one, would certainly like to see more interaction, collaboration with the, if you like, the commercial training world and the academic training world. I'd certainly like to see more people 
get exposed to basic service management at a younger age, but we're not going to solve that tonight. I'm going to stop ranting now and I'm going to ask Ian to pose his most pertinent question to Sandra. Yes, and Andy, before I pose the pertinent question, just for me wrapping up on uh, that conversation as well, anybody listening, I know we have hundreds of thousands of listeners around the world. Mm, we do. Uh, recently got their A-level results that uh, came in yesterday, I think. Mm as we're recording this uh, in the UK and are considering next steps in their their career, I'd heartily encourage developing your skills in the business side of IT, the service side of IT. It gives you Mm. fantastic breadth of understanding and ability to do things that are not just about writing code, but it's about making businesses change and making things happen. And uh, it's fascinating. But there we are. That's my little passion a bit. Right. Now, one thing I know students love to do, Students love to have a drink. They do. They're always to be found in the bar. So I'm sure that Sandra has had many students over many years come to her and offer to buy her a drink in the in the student bar. But if you were buying a drink for our hundreds of thousands of listeners on the podcast, Sandra, what drink would you be putting on the podcast bar? It will be a nice half pint of golden ale. Golden ale. Uh, the reason is, the reason is, Ian, is that um, we used to have technology Fridays after work. We would go to the pub and we would talk about techie stuff. We would talk about things we'd learned during the week and it was in a safe environment, but there's always beer. So yeah, beer, the... beer Fridays. That was uh, So it has to be a half pint of golden ale for me. Very good. That's an excellent one. Thank you. We'll make sure that one is posted on our podcast bar web page, which is... We're... The, the 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 ales thing is going. We've had nut brown ale, we've had golden ale, we've had all sorts of different types of ale. Okay, um, Sandra, how do people get hold of you? What, how, how would they find you or where would they find you if they want to contact you? Well, um, there's been a lot of contact um, on LinkedIn uh-huh. um, because, you know, I don't know if you know, but I, I did that paper for um, ISO um, a while ago, which had about 4,000 hits, I think. And the, the paper I did for them, which I'll just flash up here. And, well, you can't see it, can you? Because we can't see it on radio. If you've got it, if there's a link to it, we can we can yeah, put that in uh, the notes. Yeah, it was it was part of the work there, which explains what I was talking about earlier. Um, so I've been talking about this through that, and there's been a lot of, of interest mm. from that. So they're very happy to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd be very happy to talk to people, not, not just from... Um, the student perspective, but also from an academic perspective. And if anybody's out there um, who's an academic who really wants to talk this through with someone and have a bit of an agony ant or something like that, I'd be very happy to to speak with them about the pros and cons um, okay. of how to put these things together. Okay. Well, if if you can give us a link to that where that report is, we'll we'll stick it on the notes um, as well. Make that available. But for now, I'm going to say thank you very much for joining us and for your input, Sandra. Nice to see you. And we'll see you at events or wherever uh, in the very near future. Ian, we'll see you soon too. We're back into a schedule of weekly recording again. So no doubt next week. And um, see you all soon. Thanks very much. 